All right. Hey, happy almost New Year's. Apparently, it's, it's, uh, it's not a thing to go to church right before New Year's. Uh, but for those of you that are here, uh, we're so glad that you, that you are here uh, to Beth in West Seattle. For those of you that are new, my name is Prentice. I get the privilege to be the pastor here. Uh, today is going to be a little bit different here. I've been noticing there's a lot of babies. And you know what? That's amazing. All right. So this uh, this service is going to be for the whole family, uh, and I've said this before, if your child is worshiping God through crying and through screaming and through making noise, that's okay. That's okay. Let, let them be. Uh, if, if you prefer to take them to the nursery or out in the foyer, that's, that's up to you, uh, but just know that there's no shame here, uh, and, and if someone next to you or around you gives you the side eye, uh, you can talk to me. We, uh, that person and I will have coffee. Uh, so all that to say is, hey, let's, let's just worship together, let's sing together, let's hear from the, the word together, uh, and happy New Year's. Uh, I don't know about you, but I had a really incredible Christmas. Uh, for those of you that weren't here, this is my first Sunday back. Uh, I missed last week, and so I've missed you guys, uh, and, and I was here for Christmas Eve, but for those of you that weren't here uh, or uh, are not on social media, which is you know, maybe 1% of you, uh, I got engaged. And so, yeah, I convinced somebody to say yes. Uh, and I'm so thankful for that. And so I hope you also had a, uh, a wonderful Christmas. Uh, this morning, our text comes from Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 to 14. Uh, and the word of the Lord says this, I want to know Christ. Yes. To know the power of his resurrection and and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, and this is the important part, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. Let me read that verse again. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. That you have given us a new year to, to seek and worship and to know you. And God, we know uh, and believe that, 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 that to know you and to draw closer to you and to be more intimate with you springs forth joy and healing and transformation. But God, many of us, we come here with things that are behind that we keep looking back that keeps hindering us from moving forward. But God, help us, teach us, lead us, heal us. May we hear from you this morning in our own individual ways. In your name we pray. Amen. So oftentimes I start off with a little bit of a story about myself. Uh, and the story is when I was a bit younger. And I had the privilege uh, to, to grow up in a family where my parents let me experiment uh, with different hobbies, different sports, different activities. And, and clearly I was no artist. Clearly I was no musician. Uh, but I really gravitated to, to athletics, to sports. Uh, and so uh, trying different hobbies and different sport activities, I tried like this little league football uh, program. 
Uh, and, and I loved it. I love, maybe I was in middle school, but I loved being part of this program where we played tackle football and, until the kids started getting taller and, and bigger, and I didn't. That's when I started to dislike it a bit more. But what I remember most about Little League football is, is that the coach was very elementary and very adamant uh, about just the basics. And, and he would say as a, as a receiver or as a back, once you get the ball, you run towards the end zone. That's your main objective. Once you get the football, uh, you run straight towards the end zone. And not only that, he would say, as you run, don't look back. Whatever you do, you run forward, you run towards a goal, and you don't look back. And because when you look back, it slows you down, and it slows you down, and you become more vulnerable to being tackled. Uh, And so the coach said, you have one job, that's to run forward, run towards a goal, but secondary, don't look back. And so... As a good student of football that I am, I grabbed the football, uh, and every time I got it, I would listen to the coach, and I would run forward, just like he told me to do, but what did I do? I always looked back. I I consistently looked back, because why? Because I didn't want to get tackled. It hurts, okay? When these kids are getting bigger and bigger and wider and taller, and I'm not, being hit by them doesn't feel good. And so when I grabbed the ball, yes, I would run towards the goal, but I'll continue looking back and back, which has slowed me down. And eventually it would hinder me from getting to the end zone. And you see, I think about that story of my childhood playing football and looking back and running towards the goal. But ultimately, it becomes a story of our Christian life. Hi, she's so cute. It becomes a story of our Christian experience. There's one goal that Paul is talking about. There is one goal. If you consider yourself a follower of Christ, there is one goal. I know we're in the midst of making New Year's resolutions and new things to do and new hobbies and fixing this or that. And yes, those are all good things. Keep doing that. Don't stop doing that. But ultimately, what Paul is saying through the letters, through his church, is saying, as Christians, if you consider yourself a follower of Christ, you have one goal. And what is that goal? In verse 10, it says, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. Yes, know the power of his resurrection in participation in his sufferings, to become more like him in his death and resurrection. That is the goal. And when we look at the New Testament scriptures, uh, for those of you that are kind of new or exploring the scriptures, the New Testament was written in Greek, uh, and in the Greek language, language, it's more expansive than English. And in the Greek language, there's two main ways to understand this word know. So when, Christ, when Paul says, I want to know Christ, I want to know Jesus, uh, there's two aspects. There's, there's first to know is I know. And the second to know is gnosis. There's, there's two ways to understanding know. The first one to know, I know, is this understanding of information. Uh, oftentimes, many of us, we I know. We know, we have knowledge uh, of some things or even of some people. Maybe some of you guys are the biggest Russell Wilson fans, right? Go Hawks. Wow. I know we're a church of a lot of transient people, but come on. Uh, 
a lot of us, we, we feel like we, we know, we know the stats, we know the history, we know where Russell Wilson's from. A lot of us, we, we know or feel like we know Russell Wilson. And many of us, maybe we're not athletic or go into sports, but many of us, we know people like Beyonce, right? Or, or uh, yes, I get, like, I, and I have friends that love her. And maybe for some people, it's Taylor Swift, or maybe some of us, uh, it's N.T. Wright. Hello? Yeah, N.T. Wright's a theologian. It's kind of, I'm kind of nerding out right now. Uh, a lot of us, we feel like we know these people. But the reality is, if, if I went to N.T. Wright, or if you went to Taylor Swift, or if you went to Russell Wilson and said, Hey, Russ, how you doing? Remember me? What do you think that person would say? No, they would call security, right? Because they don't actually know you and you don't actually know them. And, and this goes with people. This goes with information. As we know information, a lot of us were filled with information. But the second understanding of gnosis is very different. And the second understanding of gnosis is to intimately, profoundly, and deeply know somebody. And, and so gnosis can mean how well and how intimately and how uh, courageously you know maybe your spouse, maybe your best friend, maybe a family member, maybe someone uh, you, know, you hold very deeply in your heart, maybe someone you've grown up with. These are the people that you actually know. And what Paul is saying, his goal and our goal, and collectively our goal as the church is to not just I know, to, to know about, to have information about Jesus, but to actually know Jesus through gnosis, because that in itself is what will actually change your life. And so we can talk about goals and 2019 resolutions and, and keep doing that. That's good. That's all worthy and we should pursue it. But, but do not be mistaken. The thing that will actually change your life, the thing that will actually bring healing and joy and transformation is not just things that you change and behavior modification, but it's to actually not just I know, but to gnosis Jesus. And when we truly pursue Jesus, these things over here transform and change as a byproduct of gnosis. And so this New Year's, may we not be mistaken that our first goal is not just New Year's resolutions, but first and foremost is to know profoundly, intimately, and deeply the person of Jesus. And that is what changes everything. But what Paul is saying is throughout this text is, but that is not easy. And and we understand that. We understand that pursuing and following and to know Jesus uh, further is not easy. I I mean, talking with people, and as a pastor, I get the privilege of walking alongside people going through difficult times. For those of you that were at the longest night service at Bethany Greenlick, after uh, after my sermon, I talked to people, and, and they were revealing to me, uh, issues of, of death and loss and darkness and, and brokenness. And for those people, and many of you can resonate, maybe it was last year or, or maybe it's years before, many of us can resonate with that attitude is, is I want to know Jesus. I, I want to draw closer and more intimately with Christ. But you don't understand. It's difficult. And we get stuck on looking back 
that slows us down from pursuing Christ. And maybe for you, again, maybe it is a broken relationship. Maybe it's a a hopeless uh, situation in your job or your financial situation. Maybe it's a family situation, a brokenness or a dysfunction there. Maybe it's the seemingly endless sense of addiction. Maybe it's wrestling with addiction, anxiety, depression. Whatever it is, many of us, we have our thing where we keep looking back on, where we want to look forward and draw closer to Christ. There's that thing that we keep looking back on that slows us down. Eventually, for some of us, even brings us to a halt. But true joy and healing, and transformation, and, 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 and these things that we want to add to our lives just becomes a byproduct of, of the first thing that we need to do to know Christ. This should be our goal. And I don't want to discount New Year's resolutions because many of us will have them. I'll, in fact, I'll have several of them. But may I humbly submit to you that these New Year's resolutions oftentimes becomes meaningless when it's only about behavior modification. When it only becomes about behavior modification rather than transformation that actually happens within these, these goals become to dissipate. What really needs to happen, and I love this quote by Dallas Willard, one of my favorite authors. He says, there needs to be an actual renovation of the soul. It's kind of like when the Bible talks about many of us, we clean the outside of our cups when the inside of our cups are actually dirty. That was Jesus' metaphor of this very uh, concept. Oftentimes, we want to have all these New Year's resolutions and goals essentially to clean up the outside of our cup when the, uh, when the reality is, Dallas Willard says, uh, there needs to be a renovation of the soul. And the way that our soul is cleansed and renovated and, and re, uh, reshaped is really only through knowing, not just I know, but the gnosis of our resurrected Christ. A good example of this is I, I, one of my good friends, he used to be a manager of this big commercial gym. And he asked me, he said, Prince, do you know what, what the best month for us as a gym is? The best month of the whole year. And I said, of course, like people have New Year's resolutions. The, the best year or the best month of the whole year at, at any gym is, is probably January, right? Because everyone has these New Year's resolutions and, and maybe some of you guys have them. I, I have them every year. It lasts maybe February if I'm lucky. Uh, but we have all these resolutions. And so I said, January is uh, the best month of the year for any gym. And he says, Prince, you're wrong. He says, the best month to be a manager at the gym and the success of the gym is actually February. February. And I, I said, well, why is it February? Because that seems to be a month delay into the New Year's resolution. And he would say, that's exactly it. He said, he said a bunch of people sign up in January to work out. They buy the biggest packages. They buy the, you know, the, the, the personal coaching and, and all this stuff. And they literally spend thousands for the whole year uh, in one month. And then February... They stop showing up. And, and that's great because then it brings more space for other, you know, for new people to come in and, and that's more revenue. And he says, February is the best month because January is packed. January, everybody's there. Everyone pays thousands of dollars to be there. But in February, though the money's still there, everyone stops coming. 
And that's a good thing for the gym. And I look at that illustration, and that's the very thing that happens to us, especially when we feel like, or what we feel like we need to do is behavior modification rather than a renovation of our soul. C.S. Lewis says, put first things first, and we get second things thrown in. Put second things first, and we lose both the first and second thing. I love that. Put first things first, knowing Christ as our goal, intimately pursuing and running towards our goal of knowing Christ and being so deeply connected to Christ. Put first things first, and everything else will follow. Not, I'm not saying your life will be perfect. I'm not saying you'll get everything you want. But ultimately, things will come together. Put first things first, and we get the second things thrown in. Put second things first, and everything gets messed up. Pursuing Christ, knowing Christ through gnosis should be our goal. But how do we do this? How do we do this? And I love that Paul in verse, uh, all, through this whole pericope that we talked about, Paul talks about running this race. Run the race to win. And, and what Paul is talking about is what uh, we're kind of unfamiliar, but think about the Olympics. We have the Olympics uh, every four years, really every two years. And in the first century in Corinth, uh, there was this uh, competition or like these games called the Ismian Games. And it was a very profound uh, event that lasted for weeks and everybody around the ancient Near East understood what this game, these games were all about. And unlike, you know, maybe competitions these days, there was only one winner uh, of the whole thing. And this winner would not only just have monetary gains and fame and status, uh, these games represented not only wealth, but of prosperity and really of dominance. Whoever won the Ismian games were looked to as uh, really penultimate to God. And although the Ismian games were dedicated uh, to Poseidon, which was a Greek god, uh, they would give Worship to Poseidon, but also gain elevation in themselves. And most importantly, after the person wins the Ismian Games through uh, what we would call today track or or, or running, uh, they would win a pine wreath. And I love what it says in 1 Corinthians. It says this, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets surprised? So Paul is talking about the Ismian games that were happening in the first century uh, in Greece. Uh, but only one, get the pri- one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. So run, keep running, run, train hard. Everyone who competes in the games goes into a strict training They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. So Paul is understanding the context of his time. And he's saying uh, many of us, especially during this time where we participate in the Ismian Games and you run and run and run, you compete towards the goal. But what do you get as the goal? You get a pine wreath. You literally get a pine wreath that looks something like this. And what Paul is saying, though you as competitors of the Ismian Games win, you get that this is your prize that will ultimately wilt away and become nothing. 
become nothing. And the reality is, oftentimes, we do this. Paul is saying, run, run like there's no tomorrow. Run with one goal in mind, and that's to know Christ. That is how you experience life, and not just life, but life everlasting and life to its fulfillment. But yet many of us, whether you're a Christian or not, we run for this. A pine wreath that will ultimately dissipate and wilt. The things that will not last forever. And maybe for us, it's literally not a a pine wreath, but many of us, we believe that our goal in life is for upward mobility, is for status, is for material possessions, more money, better or other type of relationships, fame, whatever it is, many of us, we're all running for something. We're all running towards something. We all want something. It doesn't matter what religion you call yourself. It doesn't matter whether you call yourself a follower of Jesus or not, or maybe some other denomination, or maybe other uh, some affiliation. No matter what, if you are a human being, we are running towards something. And if you don't know what that is, check your bank account. Check hi. Check your credit card statements. Uh, Check where you spend most of your time, most of your energy, uh, most of your resources, most of your emotions. That will give you a clue or an indication of of what you prioritize as your goal. It doesn't actually matter what you say it is. Because oftentimes we can say all the greatest things to convince ourselves, to convince other people, especially if you're a follower of Christ, that, that Jesus is our primary priority. But ultimately, I would say take a look at your bank account. Take a look at the ways that you spend your time, your emotions, whatever it is. Take a look. That is actually going to be a more accurate articulation of your priorities, of your goals. And the question is, what are you running to this morning? What are you running towards? Is is it the goal that Paul is talking about that says, if you want true transformation, if you want true healing, if you want true joy, that becomes a a byproduct of this one thing. But what are you pursuing? Paul is saying, my goal, our goal, collectively as followers of Christ, is to know through gnosis, intimately Jesus, and all these things may or may not happen, but you will feel fulfillment, and yet many of us, we are running towards a different goal. Like C.S. Lewis says that if you put the second things first, everything goes out of whack. And many of us were feeling the repercussions of that. What are you running towards? Is it a pine wreath that will ultimately just wilt away? Or is it something much more eternal that will bring fulfillment and joy and healing and transformation? And that is only through gnosis through knowing Christ. And in verse 13, uh, he continues on, and and I love this part, and this is where uh, the illustration comes in. He says, Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own or myself, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Well, straining towards what is ahead, forgetting what lies behind. Several years ago, 
uh, I was a youth pastor, and as a youth pastor, I had an opportunity to uh, invest in students from the community, and I volunteered uh, as an assistant wrestling coach. And I have many stories of this because it was a big part of my life. Uh, but the biggest thing <clears throat> I noticed about freshmen to sophomores to juniors to seniors is not just their physical abilities. Because obviously freshmen, they're still brand new to the sport, whatever that might be, or, or they haven't fully developed physically. And, and if you compare a, a freshman boy to a senior boy, uh, especially on the wrestling team, they looked very different. Uh, but it wasn't just the physical attributes that, that stood out to me. It was their mentality. It was a level of maturity, especially those that wrestled from freshman, sophomore, junior, all the way to senior year, is that they become more mature uh, in the way that they approach the sport. And, and so the biggest way I've noticed the difference here is that when f- the freshman wrestlers, when they would lose a match, they would be down and out and discouraged for days, if not weeks, just, just kind of uh, marinating in, in, in this depression or, or this anxiety because they lost in this one match, even though they had other matches to wrestle the next week and the next week and the week after that. And, and the biggest difference I saw between the freshman and the senior is that even when or if they lose, they would say, okay, here's the things that I learned. I need to move forward to my next match. And this isn't just sports, this could be any hobby or activity or any competition. There's a saying that we've all heard before, and it's this, you must have a short memory. This is what uh, determines your level of maturity. Do you have a short memory when it comes to your hobbies or your competition or whatever you might participate in? And what does it mean to have a short memory? It means that in any game, in anything that you participate in, any performance, any competition, that there's a time where you will make mistakes. There will be times where things won't go your way. This is really in life as well. Yet your ability to not be consumed by the mistakes, by the failures, by the ways that it didn't go right, your ability not to be consumed by all of that will govern your ability to move forward. Your ability to not be governed by those downfalls will be your ability to move forward. See, the original Greek, again, there's this word forget. He, Paul continues to talk about this idea of forgetting. Forget, forget, forget. Forget what lies behind. And, and again, in the English, we don't do it enough justice. So let me just unpack this for you just real quick. This idea of forgetting in the Greek, it's this, it's this uh, vernacular called a participle. So many of you might know what that is because that applies to English as well. It's, it's, it's a verb. It's an action word. And, and forgetting, elepanthanomai in Greek, say that ten times, means this, to surrender or to hand over. And so what this essentially means is when Paul is saying to forget something, uh, many of us, when we talk about forget, we just want to just blank it out like it never happened. Right? When we want to say forget or when we talk about, oh, forget it ever happened. Or, man, I just want to forget this moment or this experience in my life. I just want to forget it. Paul agrees. Paul says you must forget. Forget what lies behind because it's prohibiting you from moving forward to knowing Christ. But Paul uses the word forgetting very differently. 
Paul uses forgetting as a verb, as an action word. You are actually doing something when you are forgetting. You are literally, you are to surrender or you're handing over. And many of us, we're so consumed with our past and what Paul is saying, forget your past. It doesn't mean it never happened because sometimes it's important for us to name and to acknowledge the hurt and the pain that maybe someone has caused on you or maybe that you have caused on others. It's important for us to understand and to know the repercussions of that. But Paul says, what I mean by forgetting is to take that and not just pretend it never happened, but to surrender it. To surrender it. And to hand it over. Ultimately to Christ. To hand it over. When you know Jesus, when you know, when you're so intimately connected with Christ, when you feel so aligned with the Spirit, you're able to say, Jesus, just take this from me. And maybe this is a starting point for all of us in terms of uh, understanding our goals and moving forward. Many of us are like, I want to know Jesus. I want to become mature in my faith. I don't want to be so, you know, captive to my past because we have to understand the past does not determine our future. And yet for many of us, it does. And so many of us, our starting point is, Jesus, just take this. Just take it. Our past does not have to determine our future. But this requires deep work. It does require grieving. It does require lamenting. It's not pretending and it's not suggesting that something didn't happen because really it happened. And it's a problem. And it doesn't have to define our future. That is the grace of God that liberates us when we release and hand it over and surrender it to Jesus. So have you made any unhealthy decisions in 2018, self-destructive, toxic, hurtful decisions to yourself, to others? Has somebody hurt you? Though you don't have to pretend it never happened, It doesn't have to halt you either. Has life turned out, maybe last year or maybe it's right now or maybe the years before, has life uh, turned out in a way that was so unexpected? Will you surrender? Will you surrender? Or, Or maybe the opposite is true, that life has been so good to you that you don't even want to move forward. You don't even want to see what God has for you. Don't forget, it works both ways. And I love Paul in, earlier, in the earlier chapter. Paul says, here's my resume. Here's all the great things that I've done. But guess what? He says, I consider it completely rubbish. And in the, the Koine Greek, in the New Testament, the word rubbish, literally translated into dung, He says, all the good things that have happened to me, the things that have accomplished, all the things, how life went so well for me, I consider it complete rubbish. And I won't say it on stage, many of us say it outside of church, but it's actually a swear word that Paul says. That's what I consider it. And so this, this New Year's, or when we think about these New Year's resolutions, these are all good things, but may I encourage you, 
May I challenge you desperately, even for myself and for you as a church, is that may our first goal as followers, especially if you consider yourself a follower of Christ, to know Jesus further. And, and, and I'm usually not the kind of pastor that will come up and say, five, five great ways to know Jesus better. And, and you know, maybe that's to a fault. Maybe sometimes I should do that because that is helpful. But many of us, we know what those things are in our own lives. Maybe it is to forgive. Maybe it is to spend more time in Scripture. Maybe it is to be surrounded in community that can spur you on, that can encourage you, that can keep you accountable. Maybe it's to spend more time in prayer. Maybe it's through fasting. Maybe it's through these spiritual disciplines. Maybe it's through being obedient, through forgiveness, through pursuing justice, through generosity. Maybe these are the ways that we can draw closer to Christ. And may I challenge you and encourage you that this New Year's, though these New Year's resolutions are good and they're great, but don't forget, if we put these things first, everything topples because these things wilt away. This is the pine wreath that Paul says will eventually just evaporate. But may we as followers of Christ pursue something that is so eternal and that is so transformative, that is so deep that it works within, not just cleans the outside of our cup. May we have a renovation, a true renovation of our soul. And so I invite the band up, and, and as they play music, you can sing along, you can, you can meditate, you can, you can just be in solitude. But may I just ask you, what is holding you back? What are you looking back on? What is just that, what, what grabs a hold of you where though you know what the goal is, that is holding you back because you keep looking back, because you keep letting it, what if we took that and we gave it away. And we surrendered. What is that thing? Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much. That you love us. You love us so deeply. That you sent your one and only begotten son. To die on the cross so that we may have eternal life, that we may be able to experience, that we may be able to know and not just know, I know, but to know gnosis you so personally. And we know that to know you changes everything. And so, God, as we look to this new year, and as we look to all of our goals and New Year's resolutions, may you bless them, but may it just be a support cast to what we are truly doing and pursuing and longing for, which is that of a complete renovation of our soul. And we know that comes from knowing you. May that be our goal. May that be our only goal. Knowing that once we pursue that and when we accomplish that, when we uh, initiate that, everything else just falls into place. So God, for many of us, there's things tugging at us, holding us back. There's things that we keep looking back on that'll just slow us down, that'll ultimately bring us to one halt. Whatever those things are, give us the courage to, to name it, to acknowledge it, but to also just give it away.
knowing that you take it. God, you take it. You take it. You trade it in. We thank you for that. That is, that is by definition. That is grace. That is mercy. And we thank you that we can just give it to you and that you take it from us and in exchange you give us love. You give us transformation. You give us healing. You give us a new life. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's continue in worship. Yeah. 
hey, can we do something? Can all the little kiddos come up front? Yeah. And if you're a caretaker, if you're a mom, if you're a dad, you can come up too. Yeah, everyone. Because here's what the word of the Lord says, and here's my benediction to you guys this morning. Here's what Jesus says. He says, And little children were being brought to him in order that he may lay hands on them and pray. The disciples spoke sternly to those who brought them. But here's what Jesus says about the little children. He says, Let the little children come to me and do not stop them. For it is to such as these that the kingdom of heaven belongs. And then Jesus lays his hands on them with love and with compassion. As we leave, may we be like these children. Where when we see the goal and when there's something that we're striving for, they're not so consumed about their retirement plan or their 401k package or their salary or where the meal's even going to come from because we know that mommy or daddy or whoever the caretakers will provide for them. And, and so may we be like these children as we press on to knowing Christ, that those, there's things that are holding us back that God's going to take care of us. Can we be like them? this week and forevermore. Go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go in peace, everybody.